We'll now turn to God's holy word. We'll, this afternoon we'll turn to the book of Acts, in chapter 18. The book of Acts, chapter 18. We'll read the first 17 verses where Luke describes some of the activity of uh, Paul when he came to the city of Corinth and he brought the gospel uh, to that city. So Acts chapter 18, beginning at verse 1, we read God's word as follows. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, and Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O, o Jews, I... Uh, would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. So far, our reading of God's holy word. Let's sing together a response uh, to the word of God, the words of Psalm 46. This stands as 1, 2, and 3. Psalm 46, 1, 2, and 3. Our text this afternoon is found from Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians, chapter 3. First five verses of chapter three, his second letter to the Thessalonians. Paul writes, Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored, 
has happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. So far, the words of our text. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we often ask the question, and we certainly do, at least in, in Brampton, how can the church of our Lord Jesus Christ, and how can we as the church of our Lord Jesus Christ, make an impact on the community with the gospel? In Brampton, we live in a community where we're surrounded with millions of people who do not know the good news of salvation in our Lord Jesus Christ. And you here in Alora, you live in a community where you're surrounded perhaps not by millions, but you're certainly surrounded by thousands who do not know the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. And if we just look around our, around us and we look in our communities, then we see the overwhelming needs that there is also for this good news in the lives of, of all these people, our neighbors. On the one hand, we might say to ourselves, you know, there really isn't, isn't any hope for uh, the people in our community. Look, we look at them and we see nothing but unbelievers all around us. And we may think to ourselves, so, so what's the use of reaching out with the gospel? It's going to be rejected anyway. They won't come. Now think of the apostles. Apostles in the days of our Lord Jesus. Imagine how they could have also argued with the Lord Jesus when he sent them out to, to preach the gospel. And they could have said, listen, Lord, look at all those Gentiles out there. They're all unbelievers unwashed people? What's the use? Why should we bring the gospel? But the Lord Jesus Christ says to them, no, you must go out and you must call my people. Why? Because I have many who need to be called into my flock and into my church. And so perhaps you may indeed be convinced that it is indeed your calling to be active in your community that it is your duty to reach out with the gospel. Then the question is, so how are you going to do that? Well, you know, as church, we, we might set up all kinds of programs. We might have things that go on in the church or in our community. We might send out flyers. We might give out brochures. We hold events at which we make people in our community aware that, that we're here and so we can be very busy with doing all kinds of good things. But we need to ask ourselves, but as we do those good things, so to speak, what is really of first importance? What's of first importance if, if we are going to fulfill our calling as prophets? Prophets who have been called to, to witness to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Where should we start before we begin to do anything? A missionary recently told me, you know, he says it's impossible to bring a gospel revival into any city or to any town without prayer. To make spiritual impact on on any town or city, uh, we need to begin and we need to end with prayer. We must be busy in in making the gospel known, but but don't expect that you will receive a blessing on all of your hard work if if you do not pray for it. You may ask, well, why not? If we're working hard, shouldn't there be results? Well, the answer, beloved, is simply this. We cannot do this work in our own strength. None of us is able to change. None of us are able to renew the hearts of the hearers. It's a work that can only be done through the power of God of our Lord Jesus Christ. As we saw this morning, we face powerful opposition here in this country. Paul speaks about the opposition of the man of lawlessness in chapter 2 that we, we looked at this morning. And we saw how the man of lawlessness has power from Satan to go and perform all kinds of miracles and signs and wonders in order to support the falsehoods that he promotes and by which he deceives so many in this world. Right? People, they believe lies. They believe the falsehoods that are being promoted by the powers of darkness all around us. And we know that those powers of darkness today, they oppose the gospel message. They rise up in opposition to God. And they rise up in opposition to God's people. And so we need to understand, beloved, that not a single one of us can enter into this spiritual warfare without prayer. It's in faith that, that we trust that the Lord Jesus is the one who's more powerful than all the powers of wickedness combined in this world. And therefore, we can enter into that battle. We can do that even with confidence. But we can only do that when we do that in prayer. Because we trust then that we have a Lord who can soften hard hearts We trust that we have a Lord who can renew the lives of those who today are living in the grasp of the evil one. And so as Paul now nears the end of his letter and he begins to conclude the letter, he encourages the believers to pray for him and to pray for those who are working with him in this gospel effort. Why? Because Paul knows that he cannot do this work in his own strength, but that he needs to be lifted up by God's people in their prayers for him before the Lord his God. And so this afternoon I may proclaim to you God's word under this theme, pray for the advancement of the gospel. So our theme then is pray for the advancement of the gospel. And under that theme we're going to look at three things. First of all, pray to God for the rapid spread of the gospel. Secondly, pray to God for deliverance from opponents of the gospel. And thirdly, pray God to direct your heart to his love and to his perseverance. Paul begins a a new section in our text when he writes at the beginning of chapter 3, finally, finally, brothers and sisters. With these words, it's clear that Paul is now finally, or Paul is now ready to to make some closing remarks after he's finished writing about the issue that really is uh, is the heart of, of what he wants to write about, what is really bothering the Christians there in the city of Thessalonica. Remember we saw this morning, uh, they were concerned, the believers were concerned that maybe they had missed the return of the Lord Jesus from heaven. After all, there were rumors the Lord Jesus has already come back. 
But Paul assures them, no, you have not missed the return of the Lord Jesus, because first of all, the lawless one must be revealed before the Lord Jesus will be revealed when he comes from heaven. And Paul concludes his, his letter this way, by asking the believers to pray for us. Notice here, he is asking this for himself, for Silas and for Timothy. Those are the three that are mentioned at the very beginning of this letter. They together have been proclaiming the gospel in the city of Corinth, from where Paul is writing this letter to the Thessalonians. And Luke, in the book of Acts, tells us a little bit about Paul's work when he was in Corinth in chapter 18, which we read together. There we Luke tells us that for some time, uh, when Paul first came to Corinth, that he went to the synagogue. He went to that Jewish place of worship. He went there every Sabbath day. In order that he might reason and he might argue uh, with the people, that he might try to persuade both the Jews and the Greeks about the gospel message. But Luke says at a certain point, the Jews began to oppose Paul. And so when they began to oppose him, Paul went next door uh, to, to the synagogue, uh, to the house of Titius Justus, who became then a follower of the gospel. At that time, Luke says also Crispus, the, the synagogue ruler and his entire household, believed in the Lord. And there are many Corinthians who heard the gospel, who believed and who were baptized. While Paul was in, in, Cor- or in, yes, in Corinth, he also, the Lord also appeared to, to Paul in a vision in order that he might encourage Paul to keep speaking the gospel. Because the Lord says to Paul, I still have many people here in this city who need to hear the gospel. And so what's clear is that the gospel message was resonating in the hearts of many of the people in, in the city of Corinth. And so that's the context in which Paul now urges the believers in Thessalonica, please remember us in, in your prayers, so that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly. Now, when Paul is speaking here about the message of the Lord, he's referring here to the gospel message, the message of life, of salvation in Jesus Christ. And the other thing you notice here in these words is that Paul is conveying an urgency, an urgency for the gospel to go and to spread rapidly. To spread rapidly literally is to, is to run. Perhaps Paul has in mind the words, or recalls the words of the psalmist, in Psalm 147, verse 15, where it's, where the psalmist says, God sends his command to this earth, his word runs swiftly. Paul may also have in mind the image of, of the athlete in his day who, who runs the race, and the goal is that he might run that race as quickly as he can, so he might be the first one to finish the race. Now, it's a rather odd expression, because we don't ever speak about the fact that we don't think about words that run. We think people run and animals run, but words don't run. And so Paul is is using this strange imagery, you might say, but he does that because he wants to also convey his his own sense of urgency for the gospel message to run ahead so that everyone may hear the gospel. And here I think you also, we need to keep in mind Paul's own relationship with the Lord Jesus, that he also gives him a a certain urgency that everyone might hear the great work of the Lord Jesus Christ as a Savior. Remember how Paul, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, came and revealed himself to Paul on the way to Damascus. 
And Paul understands that his Lord is the living Lord and that he wants everyone in the whole world to, to, to know about his Lord who is the one who lives and who reigns there in heaven. Now Paul understands that the gospel message is not going to run ahead on its own. He also understands that as a missionary, uh, he can work night and day. But the message is not going to run ahead. It will not spread rapidly without God's people praying for that to the Lord. As Paul is busy with his missionary work, he asks the believers then that they might surround him with their prayers. As the church of our Lord Jesus Christ, beloved, Paul also commands us that we might lift up our prayers to him, that the gospel message concerning Christ may indeed run ahead, may spread rapidly uh, through this community and from here also to the ends of the, of the, of the earth. Right? We are called to pray that the Lord may open the hearts of those who today are living in darkness and without any hope. We're to have that compassion in our hearts for, for those who you can say you basically are, are dead. And when you earnestly pray for the souls of the people in your community, it does, beloved, it also opens your heart that you may want to reach out to those who are lost. And we begin to realize that there is an urgency to reach those who are without hope and do not have the glorious gospel message of salvation in Jesus Christ. And so we are called to, to be busy in reaching out uh, to, with the gospel. But before we do anything, beloved, Paul makes very clear we are to beseech the Lord in prayer for his blessing. We pray that the Lord may also prepare the hearts of many for that gospel message. And that leads us to the second part of this prayer, in which Paul writes that the message of, that the, message of the Lord may be honored, just as it was just as it was with you. Now that word honor can also be understood as to be glorified. And so the word of the Lord is honored when it is accepted, you can say, by true faith. Right? When people come to faith, what does that faith do? Well, when we come to faith, the, the word of God comes and begins to change our lives. So that we no longer are living in unbelief, but we begin to live as believers. That means people who follow the Lord Jesus Christ and who want to serve the Lord Jesus Christ with our life. Notice how Paul writes to the Thessalonian believers saying, just as it was with you. Paul is reminding them, remember when I first came to, to you there in the city of Thessalonica? Remember, you were all unbelievers. Remember, every one of you were disobedient to the Lord God of heaven. But when I came, I began to proclaim the gospel message. And that gospel message entered there into your hearts. And, and it began to change your lives. I remembered how it changed you. So that you began to honor the gospel message by submitting yourself to the will of your Lord Jesus Christ. I saw how you became the glory of Christ. For well, the power of the gospel became visible there in your, in your lives as you honored Christ and in, his fa and in faith you began to serve him with your whole life. And so Paul commands them and he now commands you here, beloved. Pray, pray for the work 
that is going on for the gospel, so that the gospel message may spread rapidly uh, throughout the community, may spread also throughout the world, so that it may be honored by people everywhere as they, as they come to faith and they, as they accept the truth and as they serve the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and as their Savior. But we also know that there's great opposition to this gospel work. And because there's great opposition, that means there's also an an urgency for us to pray to the Lord, that the Lord might deliver also the workers of the gospel from wicked and from evil people. So you notice in verse 2 that Paul gives this command. He says, and pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not everyone has faith. And so when he asks them to pray that we may be delivered, it is clear that Paul and Silas and Timothy, they are this time, they are going through some great opposition uh, to the work that they are doing there in the city of Corinth. Remember Luke writes in Acts chapter 18, verse 6, that the Jews in Corinth opposed Paul. And they became abusive towards him because of the gospel message. And then later in Acts 18, verse 12, when it became clear that the gospel was beginning to have a real impact on the people of the city, now the Jews came together and they made a united attack against Paul and they went and they took a hold of him and they, and they dragged him into court with the charge that he is persuading the people to worship God in ways that are contrary to the law, they said. Well, Paul knows a thing or two about opposition. Paul already spoke about opposition to the gospel in the first letter he wrote to the Thessalonians in chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. There he recalls how how the Thessalonians suffered from their very own countrymen. The same things, he says, that the church in Jerusalem suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus. And he concluded that by their hostile efforts, they attempted to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles. Right, the Jews, they attempted to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that the Gentiles may not be saved. You see what Paul does? He speaks about such people as wicked, literally out-of-place people or evil. These out-of-place people don't, have, don't do what is righteous or they're not law-abiding persons. They, they do not do what law-abiding persons would do because a law-abiding person would respect those who might have different ideas. No, instead they oppose, they abuse, they drag them into the courts in order that they might stop their witness. And so they're evil. Evil because they don't want people to hear the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. In their minds, the good news needs to be suppressed because they think that message, that's a danger to the people of the city. Well, you know what happens today, beloved? Today they call the good news of the gospel, they call it hate speech. Hate speech. Why? Because it calls people out of their old way of life, their old sinful, of life, old sinful way of life, to a new way of life in the service of Jesus Christ. Christ's opponents do not want to see that happen. Why? Because it interferes with their own agenda of evil and of wickedness. That explains for us as well the hostility and the hatred that so many today have against the gospel. 
Why? Because they can see how the gospel stands in sharp contrast to their own wicked schemes. And they don't want anybody to stop them in, in their schemes. But Paul explains that such people really are, they are opposing the gospel. For he says, not everyone has faith. That means that the hatred and the opposition to the gospel is a result of, or is a, result of a lack of faith in the hearts of mankind. And yet, and yet, beloved, notice what the Lord does. The Lord still comes and he commands us as his church to go and to proclaim the gospel to the people of this world. And you may wonder, why, Lord? What's the sense? After all, can't you see that all of mankind is lost in their sin? Can't you see that they all have rebelled against you and are rebelling against the gospel? You know what God does with the gospel, beloved? Right? What, do you do? what does he do with the gospel? He calls mankind who is lost in their sin and in their rebellion against God. He calls them. Calls them out of that life of sin. Calls them to turn their heart in faithful obedience to him. And when that call of the gospel goes out, yes, then there are situations where the Lord comes and he opens the heart of people so that they believe and in faith they give their heart and they give their life to the Lord Jesus. And there are many who then, in response to the gospel, rejoice at the salvation that the Lord gives them. But oh, there's so many, so many others who refuse to respond in faith. So many who deny the, the gospel message. And when people reject the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord, you know, the result is that they hate Christ. And they'll do everything they can to oppose the gospel. When people hear the gospel, they cannot be neutral to that message. Because one, people will do one or two things. Either they will choose for Christ or they will choose against Christ. And many who choose against the Lord Jesus, they turn against him and they turn against his followers because they do not want to submit to the will of the great king, Jesus Christ. But then the question is, so should that stop us? Should it stop us as, as believers from proclaiming the gospel to, to the people in our community? Somebody might ask, shouldn't we maybe just hide the gospel? No, that would be... Of course, a whole lot safer for us. Listen to the leaders of this nation. What's their advice to us as believers? Their advice to us is, you can have your personal beliefs. You can believe whatever you want in your heart. You're just not allowed to bring it into the public square. And why don't they want us to bring it into the public square? Because they're concerned. Concerned that if we speak about the Lord Jesus Christ in public, that we will offend, we will hurt people, and therefore we should just confine the gospel to our homes and within the walls of our church buildings. And even that, they're trying to, to change if they could. Well, beloved as believers, what do we do with that? We do that advice. Well, on the one hand, that advice can seem to be appealing to many believers. Because it means that we don't have to face the ridicule. We don't have to face the anger of Christ's opponents. But you know that for our Lord Jesus Christ, that just isn't an option. 
Because we are called by the Lord to run ahead with the gospel message. It is his calling to us to deliver the good news to all people everywhere. And beloved, that calling has not changed for the church today, some 2,000 years later. Remember that Paul's world was also a hostile place. Perhaps his world was even more hostile than the world in which we are living today here in this country. We still enjoy many freedoms. We're still allowed to, to worship and we're not, we do not yet need to be afraid somebody's going to come into this church building and, and shut down the worship service. And so Paul is dealing with a hostile situation. The question is, how can Paul then confidently keep on spreading the gospel? He says this. He says, well, not everyone has faith, but the Lord is faithful. And he will strengthen, he will protect you from the evil one. So you notice what Paul does in verse 3. He switches over from we to you. We, that means he's talking about himself and his fellow workers. And now he's addressing himself directly to the believers in Thessalonica. And so he wants to give also the believers in the city, Thessalonica, comfort. He says to the believers, he says, remember this. Our Lord Jesus is faithful. That means he, he says that the Lord Jesus keeps every promise. He does everything that he says he will do. And so when we think, beloved, of the faithfulness of our Lord Jesus Christ, how do I know that he will always be faithful? Because we have seen his faithfulness on the cross. When he came, he suffered greatly. His suffering was so great that at a certain moment before he was led, before he was arrested, he pleaded with the Father, Father, it be your will, that he might remove the cup of suffering from him. But Jesus at the same time said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Clearly, the Lord Jesus did not suffer because he enjoyed suffering, because he liked it. But he suffered. Why? Because he promised he would do that for us. And so if Christ was faithful and given his life as a sacrifice for us on the cross, then you can be absolutely sure, beloved, that the risen Lord will always be faithful to his promise. A promise in which he says, I will watch over, I will watch out for your life. I will protect you from your enemies. Beloved, we need that assurance. Because we ourselves are not so strong. I don't think there's any one of us who is so bold that when we have opposition, that we're without any fear, we will speak the gospel. In fact, usually the opposite is the case when we are in a situation where we feel uncomfortable, we often become paralyzed by fear. And therefore, we become afraid to stand up against those who seem to be more powerful than we. Imagine. Imagine those believers, those young believers there in the city of Thessalonica, how they must have trembled in the face of persecution. But Paul says to them, he says, remember, your Lord is faithful. And therefore, you can be sure that he will strengthen you and he will give you the courage and the boldness that you need to be able to stand up against the evil one. And he will not only strengthen you, Paul says, but he will also protect you. Notice that protection that the Lord also gives to, 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 to Paul there in the city of, of Corinth. 
Remember, the Jews came and they wanted to destroy him. And, and so they, they dragged him into the court there in Corinth. In Acts chapter 18, verse 12 through 15. Remember what the Lord Jesus did for Paul there in the court? The Jews brought him before the judge. And the judge, before he hears a word, already refuses to, to hear the case. He throws it out. And instead what happens is the enemies turn on Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, who was the leader against Paul. And they beat him up because they're angry that, that he has failed. Here the Lord reveals his power to be able to protect his servant Paul. But beloved, the Lord doesn't promise that he will always protect us from physical harm and danger. Because we know that through the ages there are many martyrs of the faith, many of God's people who were killed because of their faith. But what Christ did do was he protected them from falling away from the faith. Christ is the one who, who holds on to his people so that they remain faithful. The enemy is able to see the power of Christ at work in the hearts of his people. And the enemy Paul refers to here is the evil one, the devil, he's Satan. Chapter 2, Paul wrote about the lawless one. He is the Antichrist, and he receives great power from Satan. And so indeed, beloved, we are dealing with a powerful enemy. The devil himself comes and opposes the very spread of the gospel. Oh, he wants to slow it down to a crawl. He will fail. Because we have one who is much greater, our Lord Jesus Christ, who will speed the gospel. He has won the great victory. And therefore, in faith, we are assured that he is indeed faithful also to us. And therefore, in Christ, beloved, we have the greatest confidence to witness to his name. And finally, Paul now directs our hearts to God's love and perseverance or steadfastness. He writes in verse 5, he says, May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance or Christ's steadfastness. Notice Paul here is not writing about our love for God. He's not writing here about our perseverance or our steadfastness for God. But he's speaking of God's love for us and God's perseverance for us. He prays that the Lord may direct our hearts to God's love for us and to Christ's perseverance for us. You see, the gospel message declares to us the love of God for his people. His love that was so great that he sent his only begotten son that he might die for us on the cross. And so when Paul writes here about Christ's perseverance, he reminds us that when the Lord Jesus came into this world, the Lord ran the race of life. He ran it to the very end. He went and he endured the cross. And there he bore the shame for us. And so the point here is that Christ was steadfast in his calling. He finished his work by giving his very life for us. And so Paul prays that the Lord may now also direct our hearts to that love of God, a love that can never separate us from the Lord, and that he might direct our hearts to Christ's perseverance, so that as Christ persevered to the very end for us, that we may now also persevere to the very end for him. Beloved Paul, he's writing about our motivation. It makes clear, he says, you can be bold. Bold in your faith. You can be secure in your witness. Why? Because you know the love of God. 
You know the perseverance, the perseverance and the steadfastness of the Lord Jesus to, that he might come and he might secure your salvation. And if you know that, then Paul says in verse 4, writes confidently in verse 4, then you can also have confidence in the Lord that you are doing, or that we can have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and that you will continue to do the things that we command you. Paul doesn't talk here about, doesn't mention what it is he's commanded the Thessalonians to do. You know, in the next part of this chapter, Paul warns against idleness. But it seems that he's referring here to, to something he's already commanded them to do, something that, that's not mentioned in the letters themselves. It may very well be something in connection with spreading the gospel message, since that's the context in which he is writing. And so from our perspective today, when the Lord directs our hearts to God's love, and when God directs our heart to what the Lord Jesus has done for us, Paul's point here is simply this, that should motivate you to serve the Lord with your whole life. Right? Our, our love for God is the reason that we want the whole world to experience the love of God. Right? If I experience the love of God, if I experience that joy of being his child, then I also want my neighbor, I want my community to experience the same. And we want the whole world to know about Christ's perseverance in which he gave his life on the cross for the life of his people. Beloved, it's not only a joy for the Lord Jesus when he sees mankind turn to him in faith, but it's also a joy for all of us as God's people when we see people come to the Lord in faith and we see people discovering the joy of the gospel and beginning to give glory and to give praise to the Lord God. There's no greater joy than to see somebody come to the faith. Somebody who for years has not come to, to church, somebody who hasn't served the Lord for, for decades, comes back and seeks to serve the Lord God again, wants to give praise and glory to Him. That brings joy in the hearts and the lives of God's people. And that also gives us a reason why we want to constantly pray. Pray for the advancement of the gospel, in which we then also long for the day when the kingdom of our God will come in all of its glory. Beloved, that's a day that we long for. Because it's a day that we'll enjoy peace with our God. It's a day in which we may then also give glory to him forever. Amen.